You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Let's head into the book of Hebrews today. We're in the sixth chapter. We're going to take a little bit of a detour today that I'll tell you about later. But first, let's jump into this text, Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. We'll have it on the screen. You're welcome to just join us with your Bibles. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ... And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. Three short verses for us today. So let's pray and go. Lord, we just come before you, and Father, we thank you that you have drawn our hearts to you, that you are the great initiator, that you have drawn us to you, both here in presence, but in our hearts, Lord. And we are thank you that you have, through your Son, through Christ, that you have taken this heart of stone, that you've made it into our heart of flesh. And we thank Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins, that we have forgiveness and grace. And we thank you for the gift of your Spirit that comes to us, that brings these truths alive in our hearts. So we pray today, Spirit, that you would bring this word alive in our hearts. And so today we pray to a wonderful Tritarian God, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct, equally beautiful, powerful, but distinct in roles. We pray, praise you, Lord, today that you are full of love and mercy. Will you make us greater in our oneness today with both you and each other? We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. And so as we jump here into the beginning of of chapter 6, we are repeating some of the same themes that we kind of ended with there in Hebrews chapter 5. We are being warned to, to move on to maturity, to leave behind the elementary doctrines of Christ, as the author says. And if we remember last week, we talked about milk this formulative foundation that's good for us, that we are to leave that behind. And today we continue as he talks to his little congregation in the first century that is in, a, in, in great persecution and struggle. To, and he tells them to leave behind the elementary doctrines of Christ and then go on to maturity. And so what he is not saying is, hey, knock it off. Stop focusing on silly, non-trivial, non-important things. You keep playing with finger paints and slingshots. You need to give those things up, and you need to move forward into maturity. That's not what he is saying. He is saying that you have learned the basic tenets of the Christian faith. You have gotten the milk, the very most important thing in your life. You have a foundation. Now go and live your life. Build a structure, build a life on top top of that. Beginnings are important, super important. They say that if we don't move on from beginnings, we'll never achieve maturity. And so beginnings are important to us, but we have to move past them, just like you and I in our relationships. We've got to get past just knowing our names and our opinions about the weather if we're ever going to get into some sort of deep 
beneficial relationship with one another. The author is saying these are foundational truths, but let them be sufficient. Don't pick them back up again. Let settled things be settled things and get on with it. And so when we talk about maturity here in Hebrews 6, we're we're not talking uh, in a way that it's comparative to academic endeavors. This isn't about you moving on to more complex research and concepts and thoughts. This is not about your ability to pick up the book of Leviticus and read it in one sitting and go, oh, I got it. It's not about you picking up mere Christianity written by C.S. Lewis and and hearing all of his big words and saying, oh, I know exactly what those big words mean. That's not what the author is contending for us. Maturity in the Christian faith has to do with athletic endeavor almost. There's a lot of athletic endeavor communication within our scriptures. It is to be set on the basics and then begin to practice those things in our life for better understanding and discernment. That is what maturity means in the scripture. Now you notice that this phrase maturity is written in the passive sense. It says, and go on to maturity, which is sort of counterintuitive for us because maturity does it not feels like a self-determination. It feels like it's in our will. That's not what the author is trying to contend to us today. He's saying that maturity is actually comes through a little bit of passivity, not in in the way that we might think of passivity, but maturity is more in tune with uh, discernment in rest, to be settled on the doctrines of faith, the truths of Jesus, and then to let the world as it comes out at us and the things within our human hearts and minds to then be filtered through those true and settled things. That's what maturity is to look like. And so in verse 3, he says, and this we will do if God permits, which means that maturity is not connected to our greater abilities, but is actually connected to God's will. Like there, there are a lot of you in this room that I know who, who well, I'll take that back. We'll, we'll step aside from that. There are lots of people in this world that might want to impress you with their knowledge of scripture, their gifts of keeping you entertained. They might want to impress you by their personality uh, and how gifted they are. But, But those aren't fruits of maturity. Those can be, but they are often the marks of the self-righteous who are conveying their own importance. Maturity comes when we filter what comes at us, both in our hearts and in our lives, through the basic doctrines of Christ. Now, some of you in this room have faced more complex and difficult struggles, um, different successes and situations than, than others of us in this life, which means this, is that there is a level of maturity about you by going through those events and then discerning them through the basic principles of Christ that is beneficial for you, but also beneficial for us. It's beneficial for all of us in this room, all of us maturing in Christ. Maturity, again, does not come through your intellect or your abilities, 
but it comes through discerning the events of your life and the happenings of your heart through the Word of God, through the elementary doctrines of Christ. Now, our writer, he tells us and he tells his readers about what some of these foundational principles are in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, to not lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, he's saying that these whether we want to believe them or not, in our these are basic things. These are settled things. Let's not undo them. What, what, are, what are these things that he's talking about that they're trying to unearth and revisit? Well, we remember that the people that he's talking to in this letter, first century church, are very Jewish, right? And so they would have been people that have left Judaism and now are professing the name of Jesus Christ. And their current situation, as we remember, is not a good one. They are being persecuted almost on every single side, and what will serve to them as a bit of an escape, right, and relief is for them to slide backwards into some of their old understandings, their old ways of when they were Jewish. And so what's happening here is that very thing. People are starting to go back to their understandings uh, in these areas. Now, I'll note this for you. We're not going to talk about this much today. But these terms have roots both in Judaism and Christianity. Christ, by his light, has changed everything that we know about what the author is talking about. But we're not going to talk about that today. We are going to a bit, but we're not going to talk about this today because it's important that we have a length of time, I think, to talk about Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. We have to bring the right context into our understanding of verses 4 through 8 because they're going to ask us some very basic and complex questions about this. Well, is there a sin that's unforgivable? Can I fall away from salvation? Can I ever out-sin grace? And we will get bent out of sorts, if you will, if we don't let Scripture interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, friends. That's why we need to know context. If we are interpreting Scripture by our own abilities, it's called eisegesis. You are sowing yourself into the text. And so it's important that we let the context of Scripture bring our understanding. But we're going to visit that next week. Today is Family Sunday, which means there's a larger population of our youth within this service today. And I want to take this as an opportunity to speak to you, younger people, about the importance of setting the right beginning, to having the correct principles of Christ in your life. Now, my hope is it's not just directed towards kids. I think that this will be beneficial for all of us. Every one of us in here must know and learn the basic elementary doctrine of Christ in order that we may mature. But kids, I want to speak to you a little bit today, so try to keep your attention. I'm going to do this in a way that I normally don't do. I'm going to bring a little teaching prop up here. This is not my bicycle. Just so everybody, this is, uh, this is Ellie's, and that is the way Ellie's bike looks every day of her life, right there. <laughs> that's, that's my Ellie. I would suppose um, every one of us in here 
at some point in our life has learned how to ride a bicycle. I, I, I think that's true. Riding a bicycle is one of the, the most profound joys of being young. Uh, and they, you know what they say about riding a bike, that once you learn how to buy, ride a bike, you can, you can always ride a bike. Now, whether you want to ride a bike or not, that's up to you. But if you learn how to, buy to ride a bike, the, the, the common reality is, is that you still know how to ride a bike. Well, how did you learn how to ride a bike? How did you even get to the place where you can just jump on it and now you just do it in instinctually? Well, suppose this. Suppose that you've never seen a bike before. You have no idea what this thing is on stage. You've never heard about bike riding. You don't know what a pedal is. You don't know what a chain is. This thing is mystery object number one to you. You have no idea. Now, let's say friend number one, as we will call them, comes up to you and say, says something like this. Hey, hey, do you know what a bike is? I'm going to tell you, man. It is the most awesome thing that you'll ever meet in your entire life. Uh, this is my bike. I love my bike. Man. And I know this, man. If you, if you get a bike, man, you are going to know how awesome it is, too. And you're going to love it just like I did. And so what I want, man, I want you to know, like, do you have a personal relationship with a bike? Because it's going to change your life. It's going to make you happy. Beyond your understanding, it'll change your life. Do you want a bike? Well, what did you learn about riding a bike? Did you, did you learn how to ride a bike? No, you didn't, you didn't learn how to buy, ride a bike. You learned that bikes are cool and that they're probably sweet. And so you were excited and you went out and you bought a bike and you had no idea what it was. And you're looking at this thing and it's a mystery to you and you're, you're excited. Look at the colors, it's so amazing. And look at the streamers, this thing, is, it's got a rainbow hanging from it. And you're just excited about your bicycle. And then you go, okay, now change my life. And you wait. Like, what is, what is this thing going to do? It's supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to change my life. Yet it's not doing anything. Now, let's say you have another person. Let's say friend number two. They come to you and say, hey, have you heard about bike? Have you heard about bike? They're awesome. When you ride it, because I want you to ride one, it's going to bring betterment and joy into your life. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look down the road towards the horizon. Don't look at your feet, okay? And you're going to keep your feet moving at a constant, slow speed, repetitively. And when you get up to speed, listen to me, change gears, because it will provide for you a more enjoyable life. So let me repeat that to you. Number one, first point here is this, look to the horizon. Point number two is this, slow down. Point number three is don't forget to change gears. Did you learn how to ride a bike? No, you didn't learn how to ride a bike. You learned about all the right things about riding a bike and how they can make your ride more smooth and enjoyable. And so what would happen? You would get a bike, this mystery, and you'd look at it. Okay. Uh, horizon. Look straight ahead. Okay. Slow, steady pace. Keep going. Okay. I'm going a little fast. Change the gears. Change the gears. 
Okay, now what? What do I do? Did you learn how to ride a bike? No. You didn't learn how to ride a bike. You learned about the behaviors of bike riding. Now, let's say you have friend number three. And after friend number one, friend number two, and friend number three comes up to you and says, hey, this is a bike, and this is a seat. Your butt sits on here. And these are the pedals. Your feet go here. And you're going to push on those pedals to make you go. And this is the chain that connects the front gear with the back gear, and it makes the bike go. And these are the wheels that contact the ground that move you forward. And this, this, these are the handlebars. You put your hands on them, and they help you steer where you want to go. But here's the thing. You're going to have to learn this on your own. You're going to have to learn about balance and control, but I want you to know this. I've ridden a bike before, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you here as long as it takes for you to learn how to ride a bike. Did you learn how to ride a bike? Yes, you did. You learned how to ride a bike. You learned it. You didn't learn about the emotions of riding a bike. You didn't learn about the behaviors of riding a bike. You have learned about the truth of riding a bike. And listen, you will then grow in your understanding of how to implement those truths in your lives. And for riding a bike, that means that you probably will struggle and you will fall down and your knees will get bloody and your elbows will get bloody. But for some of you, you'll pick it up just like that. But there is a practice of the truth that is necessary. Someday the chain's going to fall out and you're going to have to examine things once again. What's causing this to be stalled? And so what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, maybe you're already with me on this. Maybe you're not. Let me tell you. And let me tell you it from my personal experience in faith. I had a person, we'll call them friend number one. And they came up to me and they said, Jesus is incredible. And he loves you. And he wants to change your life. And he wants to make you happy. And that is all I understood. And, I, and who doesn't say yes to that? I said yes to that. And I was excited. Like, yes. I got, there is a God that knows me and loves me. But do you know what I did then? I waited. Like, all right. Like, when is this thing going to work? When, when is this happiness going to kick in? Like, when is this going to change? When is this going to change my life? When are you going to start doing something for me, Jesus? And I began <laughs> to pray that, God, just give me a sign. Like, will you give me something I want, and I'll follow you all the days of my life? Or I just show me something. That's what I wanted. Now, maybe you by now have read the Bible, young person. And maybe you have read stories of the Israelites and Jesus. And maybe you've heard about people who have seen God part the seas and rain food down from heaven. You've heard about Jesus who healed the lepers and those who are blind, and he raised the dead. And maybe you're like, I want something miraculous like that in my life. Well, let me remind you this, that most, if not all of those people who saw those things walked away from Jesus. Why? Because their faith was about what they could get. Friends, your faith is not about you. Your life is not about you. 
Now, I was struggling. And I had friend number two come into my life. And he came to me and he said, hey, I know you're struggling. You got to do stuff here, all right? You got to figure that, you got to start doing stuff. And so here's why, get, uh, get rid of your music, right? And so I got rid of my music. I had, I had some good stuff in that music collection. The White Album was in that. Uh, like there's just some good stuff and I got rid of it. And then, hey, you got to wear uh, bracelets. You got to wear these WWJD bracelets. And the cooler you are, it means, is, is, is designated by the fact that you have more and they're multicolored. And then they said, well, you've got to, you got to begin to speak things that you want to be true of your life so that they become the truth of your life. And they said, hey, how are you gifted? You got to start doing things for God that you're gifted in. So that's what I did. I started doing things for God that I was gifted in. Now, I, I am funny. And I don't care what you think about that. Right? In fact, I get more joy when you don't think I'm funny. And so that's what I, I I'm going to be an idiot. Because that's what I'm good at. I'm going to be fun. And, and people are going to know Jesus. I, I'm good at lifting heavy things. Right? And so I just, I did. And, and let me tell you this. I even started leading other people to a faith that's centered around those things. That's my life. So let me tell you, it doesn't change your life. It just focuses on behavior. But then I had friend number three come into my life. And he said, I want you to know about creation and fall and law and sin. I want you to know about what's in your heart. I want you to know the sufficiency of God's word. I want you to know about redemption and the promised redeemer that was known ages ago. I want you to know about rescue and redemption and restoration and someday glorious reunion. I want you to know what's in you, what you're like, what your heart wants, and what you want to worship. He was a good friend. I learned the elementary doctrines of God and the folly of trusting myself. And look, young people, I don't have time to unpack all of those fundamental doctrines to you today. But what I want you to hear is that it's only by knowing the truth of God and why, believe, why we believe what we believe can we ever walk by faith in this world. We have to let settled things be settled things. And here's the hardest part of your life, because you're a restless spirit. You rest on that truth. That is joy. Let the settled things be the settled things and rest on those truths. I want you to think about this. When you learn the basic principles of riding a bicycle, they stay with you. And because they stay with you, you have dramatically changed the course and the potential of your life. There are benefits of bike riding that go far beyond just riding a bicycle. Because you have understood bigger things like motion and physics and balance. You can now look at cars and things that move and unicycles, anything that has movement to it. And you can begin to look at it and look for those basic foundational principles and say, ah, 
That's how they put those things together. Because you can ride a bike, it means that you have an increased capacity for joy. I mean, the simple delight in riding a bicycle and having the wind in your face, that riding a bike can get you faster from one place to another, but also in this, that bikes are so common in this world that there will never be a place that you go where a bicycle probably is not accessible to you. Because you can ride a bike, friend, you've increased your capacity for fitness. At every age, you can ride a bike. And because you can ride a bike, it means that you have the ability to grow in your health and your fitness. You can grow stronger and healthier. But remember, these realities and joys of bike riding are only possible if we learn the elementary principles of riding a bike. And in the same way, faith in Christ can and will change our lives dramatically if we know and trust and rest in the elementary doctrines of Christ. And those benefits go beyond any moment or any season of our life. They actually, they last for eternity. Because you know Jesus, you have actually learned the lens in which the whole world was designed to see by. The elementary doctrines of Christ aren't just profoundly good and right. They are the very fabric and source of all of life and creation, the basic operation of humanity. And it is by those basic principles that we then discern what is in front of us. We discern, we decide what is good and lovely, and we hold on to those things. We make sense of the world and its people through these elementary principles. Because you know the elementary doctrines of Christ, you have increased endlessly your capacity for joy. The simple delight that comes with knowing the story of creation and God himself. There's a joy that comes from knowing the deep love that God has for us. That no matter what is happening to us, that God is with us. And despite our circumstances, that his character is flawless. That he is good and worthy to be trusted. There is a joy in knowing this, that no matter where you go in this world, that there is a body, a believer, a remnant of God's faithful to be known by and to know. That you can pour yourself into community. That Christ is known all over the world. Friends, you have brothers and sisters in every conceivable spot in this world. Because you know the elementary doctrines of Christ, you have increased greatly than your capacity for spiritual fitness, which I would argue is the best kind of fitness. At every age level... You can, because of Christ, begin to understand the workings of your inner heart and your mind because you're able to discern. You're able to grow up in every way into Christ towards greater maturity. You are loved in the Son. You are loved in the Son, and that is your story. And you can, by grace, rest in this. That you can begin through resting in the truths of God, begin to look like Jesus all the days of your life, which is the only truth and the only thing that really matters in this world. And so let me remind you, young people, and whoever is listening, 
that the true measure of our celebration of Christ in our life and our ability to obey first and primarily comes through having an excellent foundation composed of the elementary doctrines of Christ. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears, can you hear it? Hears these words of mine and does them. We will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it's been, it had been founded on the rock. Friends, build your life on the rock. Build your life on the rock. Young people in this room, you will face a world that is far different than the one that I grew up in. And that's not good or bad because my childhood is not the glory days. I don't know what the future holds for us, but I would presume that for those who walk by faith in Christ, that your journey will be much more difficult in staying faithful than mine. And that reality strikes my heart every day when I see my children. Your walk will be harder than mine. And so I, I, I want you to know a few things. First and foremost, it's not because God isn't real, and it isn't because God isn't near, and it's not because he hasn't already won. But every one of us has with inside of us a rebel. We are rebellious by nature, humankind. And if you give a rebel long enough, they will reject everything that was true and lovely once. And so it is the greatest priority in your life to know who God is and why you believe what you believe, but also to know what's in you. I'm not sure the path that you're going to have in front of you. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know if you'll always be in Bluffton. I don't know if you'll always be in Indiana. I don't know if you'll always call this church your home. And if that is the case, I want you to remember this one thing. If you hear me say, young people, one thing your entire life, this is the most important thing for you to hear. You find a church, and you give yourself away to it. You give yourself away to it. But not just any church. God's church. Don't give yourself away to a church that bends towards emotionalism and personality and entertainment. A church that centers around your experience will only make you a customer. And if you could somehow earn your salvation and flourish in this life, then Christ and his death was meaningless. Don't give yourself away to that church. Here's the reality. There will always be a newer, better, more trendy church to find. Don't give yourself away to that church. Don't give yourself away to a church that teaches you about doing the right things for Christ or elevates practical living that, because life isn't practical in the least. You are not the story of God. 
You're not the center of that story. Life isn't about you. Doing things, the right things, and enjoying the rewards of that behavior is not the story of Scripture. Don't give yourself away to that church. Young people, wherever you are, find a church that challenges you in the truth of God and faithfulness. And listen, it may not be the trendiest, and it sure won't be the flashiest, but it by far will be the most powerful. Give yourself away to that church. Give yourself away to it. The one that leads with scripture and stays with scripture. The one that teaches you how to know and better understand the scripture. The one that is devoted to prayer and love of neighbors. Give yourself away to that church and its people for your joy and for God's glory. And so parents and guardians and friends and those who have walked this faith a little longer than most of us. Maybe this message is relevant to you. Maybe you've built your life not on the elementary principles of Christ, but on a feeling that you've been chasing your entire life. Maybe you've built your faith on the promise of a reward that comes through your better behavior. And if that is the case, know this, that the grace of God meets us exactly where we're at. And that his mercies are new for us every day. And that there is no better place and time to start than in this moment and in this place. And if you need help with that, then give away your life to the church. We can teach you what you do not know. And if we don't, all we will tend to focus on is behavior and motion. And it will be absent of truth and understanding. But maybe you need to hear this and understand it in this way, that it is our job as parents and guardians and role models and neighbors to teach the next generations the elementary doctrines of God. It is not the responsibility. Let me hear this. It is not my responsibility as the church to teach the doctrines of Christ to your kids or your neighbors. Now, I'm going to put meat out there and you hold me accountable to that. But it's not the job of our youth pastors to train up our kids to disciple our kids. It is our job to do that as moms and dads. And maybe for some of you, that, there's a tinge of guilt that wants to lead into shame. That maybe your children are grown and, and maybe you feel like you missed an opportunity. But the truth is, is that you haven't missed any opportunity that we still today can model faithfulness to Christ, that we can, through repentance and humility, we can still reveal the doctrines and the glory of God to our adult children and our adult neighbors and those who are around us. Often, we teach others how to behave as believers or even what they're supposed to believe, but do we teach and understand the whys behind our behavior and our belief? And that, friends, is what we must focus on now. We're going to send out some materials this week through our text messages and social medias that may be helpful for you in understanding what we should be teaching, what we should be learning, what should we be founding ourselves on. But let us remember what Gen or Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says to us. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. First and primarily, we have to know them before we leave them. And when we know them, everything else in this life falls into place. Maybe not fully at the beginning, but eventually with practice, as we discern through the basic doctrines of Christ, our joy is magnified, our hope is secured, Today, we gather around the table of communion. 
And we remember that it's because of the risen Christ that we can join together as a community of broken but hopeful believers who seek to love what he loved, to live what he taught, and strive to be his faithful servants in our time and place. And so we remember in this meal that Jesus made us promises. We remember the price that he paid, who he was and what he said and what he did. On the night before Jesus died, he took the loaf of bread and he blessed it and he said, take and eat. And whenever you do this, remember me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he poured it out saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. And so today we do that. We do remember him. We remember his life and his love and his friendships and his teaching and his dying and his rising to life again. And in this shared meal, we proclaim the most glorious truths that humanity has ever known, that our proclamation confesses that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. Will you say that with me today? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The body of Christ, the bread of life represented in the cracker, the lifeblood of Christ, the cup of blessing represented in the juice. These are the gifts for God's people, and they are good gifts. And so if your mom and dad here and you have kids with you, it is you that leads them in this communion. You are discipling them. If you're in here today and you are not a believer in Jesus, we're glad that you're here. We want you to be here. This is for the family of God to celebrate what God has done to us, for us by faith. And so let's spend a few moments exploring our hearts, asking for forgiveness and hollowing the name of the almighty God. If we've wronged somebody, if we've wronged somebody, let us not take communion and let us go to that person and seek forgiveness and not delay. God is serious about forgiveness. He's asked us not to partake in this meal if we haven't pursued it. So let's be serious about that. And so the band is going to play. We're going to sing some songs. Well, we're going to sing one song. And when you're ready, partake in the emblems. And then join us in worship.